Good morning. I'm so honored to be here. It's good to be back on the bayou where you hear names like Chasson and Guidry and Fontenot. You know, I hadn't heard those names in a long time. In fact, it's been 11 years I've been in Tennessee. But I wanted to begin by sharing a little bit about my testimony that you know where I come from. I'm going to say like the Casting Crown song, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Amen? I was raised in Ville Platte. Though many of you know where Ville Platte is. Forget, yeah. What good can come out of Ville Platte? I was raised in a Catholic home, and I don't want to dog the church, but I didn't find Christ in the Catholic church. One of my friends who was lost was being made by his grandparents to go to a Christian camp. And he wanted a partner in crime, so he said, I know what I'll do. I'll ask Tim LaFleur to come with me. And so we got in his VW microbus and we headed toward this camp. And we did what we always did. He smoked and I drank. And when we got to the camp, if I would have been the director of the camp, I would have kicked myself out of the camp. That's pretty bad. But you know what? God in His grace providentially allowed me to go more than 100 miles west to hear an evangelical word. And by God's grace, He saved me. Now the way Mike enticed me to go to the camp was he said, there would be many good-looking girls that went there. And so I went to camp to meet the girls. I met the Lord, and I've never been the same. There were some good-looking girls there. But what I noticed was they had a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. See, I knew a lot about God but I didn't know God, and there's a difference, right? And I remember when I bowed my knee to Jesus, it's as if God reached down and lifted the entire weight of the world off my shoulders. I was free. I was saved by the power of God. I was radically saved, and you can imagine what happened when I came back home. My parents thought I had gone crazy. They thought the preacher had brainwashed me. But I want to tell you, our preacher looked like he came out of a Revenge of the Nerds movie. He couldn't brainwash anybody. But you know what? He lived a godly life. And I'm thankful that when I went to this camp, I not only heard about the gospel but I saw the gospel lived out. And the thing that attracted me was that here were students, here were young people that took their faith seriously, and it was obvious that they had a relationship with God. They not only talked a good game, but they walked the walk. 
Remember the old saying, if you're going to talk the talk, you better walk the walk. Let me give you another one. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. Say that really fast five times. <laughs> your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk always talks louder than your talk talks. If you have your copy of the Word of God this morning, I invite you to turn to the book of Romans and chapter 12. We'll look at verses 1 and 2. While you're turning there, get the screen of my family. Uh, get the picture of my family on the screen. My wife and I are top left, Chris and Tim. Chris is down here. Uh, you're going to want to say hi to her. She definitely is my better half. To the right are Matt and Amy and their family. They come here to Living Word Church. I love my son dearly. Thank God for him. I love all my children. God in His grace, when He saved me, broke a chain. In my family, there was generation after generation after generation of alcohol and addiction. God, in His grace, not only saved me, but, but here's the evidence. I have kids and grandkids now who are learning about Jesus and serving Him. So Matt and his family, top right, below Chris and I are Breanne. Breanne's here this morning. Breanne and her family. I had the privilege of discipling her son when he was a college student. And I remember praying for Breanne and Jared and praying that God would give Breanne somebody like Jared. I didn't know it would be Jared, but two weeks later, they were together and they've never been apart. Isn't God good? To the right is my son, Jonathan. He is a pastor, graduate of Homo Christian School, Brother Jimmy. He is a graduate of Homo Christian and also a pastor now in Terre Haute, Indiana. And uh, got a growing, thriving church, and, and God's blessing his ministry. He's a tremendous preacher and a great disciple-maker. That's my jam, by the way, making disciples. Great commission. We heard about it last week. Below, um, I guess it's Brianne and Jared, is my daughter Elizabeth. She's here today as well. My daughters flew down to be with us this weekend. Isn't that cool? Give them a round of applause. <laughs> to the right of... Elizabeth, Patrick, and little Nora Kate is Ember May. And the reason I'm highlighting her is Ember in the nursery right now. She is my youngest granddaughter. I thought the boys would overtake the girls, but the last five grandbabies have all been granddaughters. Isn't God good? If you have Romans 12, 1 and 2, say word. Look at it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. My goal this morning is simply this. I want to help you understand how to live in response to being changed by the gospel so that you can glorify God in all things in 2023. My goal today is to help you understand how to live in response to the gospel so that you can glorify God in all things in 2023. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to see wondrous truth from your word. God, I pray that I be a vessel fit for your use, set apart as holy, useful to the master, ready for every good work. Lord, we're listening. Speak to us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And in Romans 1.16, the Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Chapter 12 is kind of a transition chapter, specifically verses 1 and 2. There's a transition about Paul teaching what God has done for us in the gospel to how we should live in response to all that God has done for us through the gospel. So it's a transition between what God has done and now what God expects. How many of you know that if you've been saved by the grace of God, and all things have become new. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new what? New creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If you've been changed by the power of God, if you've been saved, if you're in Christ, if you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Guess what? Paul is saying, you and I ought to live like it. Do you know that? Do you know that God, in light of all that he's done, requires that you and I live differently from the world? And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is all about. Notice the first exhortation he gives. He says, give yourself completely to God. If you're taking notes, that's point number one. Give yourselves completely to God. Where do you get that? Look at verse one. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Give yourselves completely to God. 
Now, that word present in the language of the New Testament simply means this. It means to offer up for a specific purpose. If you take notes, you're going to want to write that down. Present, when he says that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that word present means to offer up something for a specific purpose. And in this case, you and I as believers in Jesus ought to present our bodies. We ought to offer up our bodies to God for a specific purpose. And that purpose is to be a living sacrifice. Now, why are we to do that? What's our motivation? Look at the text. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Do you know that the grace and mercy of God by his love was extended to you through the gospel? In fact, it might be the highest demonstration of the love of God that he would send Jesus to die for you and I. He said in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so we've got so much to be thankful for, right? We've got so much to praise God for and thank him for. And in light of all that Christ has done, here's how we ought to live, Paul's saying. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because of the mercy and grace of God that's been extended to every one of us through the gospel. Let's run through Romans real quick. Turn, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Paul says in verse 14, the old King James says, I'm a debtor. Now, don't ever think you can ever pay God back. You can't do that. You can't pay God back. In light of all that he's done, you'd be a fool to think you could pay him back. But I tell you what you can do. You can live life consecrated to God in light of all that he's done for you in and through the gospel. The divine outline, some have called it, of Romans. Chapters 1 through 3, he talks about sin. Pastor Ben read a tremendous passage where Old Testament verse after Old Testament verse shows that we can't make right with God on our own. In fact, in Romans 1 through 3, Paul says we are all under sin. Every one of us, whether you be a rank pagan or a religious Jew, Paul says you are under sin and in and of yourselves you can't make right with God. You need an alien righteousness. And he concludes it in verse 23 of chapter 3 by saying, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
were under sin. But thank God for his salvation. God came on a rescue mission in the person of Jesus Christ. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, we've been made men and women new by the power of God. We're different now. Amen? I love chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ alone. What are you saying? I'm saying that you and I are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You might want to jot that down. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other way to be saved. I love what it says in Acts 4.12, nor is there salvation in anyone else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Only through Jesus. John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's Jesus speaking. Jesus is the only way. And by His grace, through His mercy, when we receive Christ through repentance and faith, we were gloriously saved and placed into the body of Christ. And now Christ lives within us, and guess what? We're a part of His body, and that makes all the difference. Thank God for His salvation. He talks about sanctification in verses, uh, chapter 6 through 8. I love verse 611 of Romans. It says, but consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God through Christ. I love that great chapter 8 where he talks about the spirit-filled life. G. Campbell Morgan said, if I could live anywhere in Scripture, it would be in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad there's no condemnation for us who believe in him? Chapters 9 through 11, he talks about God's sovereignty. He's talked about sin. He's talked about salvation. He's talked about our sanctification. Now he talks about sovereignty. My belief is God is not finished with Israel. God's going to accomplish His purpose. I love the way the children say it. God's large and in charge. Amen? He's large and, listen, have a high view of God. J.B. Phillips wrote a book called, Your God is Too Small. Have a high view of God. He's large, he's sovereign, he's in control, he's in charge, amen? And our response to the authority of God ought to be one of submission to him. In fact, Paul gets so excited as he systematically lays out the gospel message that he breaks out in praise. Look at verse uh, 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has ever given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. To him be glory forever. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Why? Because of all that God has done for you in and through the gospel. Now, how do you do it? You do it by presenting your body as a living sacrifice. And not just any living sacrifice, one that's holy and acceptable to God. When I think of a sacrifice, I think of something dead, don't you? You read in the Old Testament, you picture this altar, you picture a lamb or a goat on the altar, throat slit, a bloody mess. How does that apply to a believer? Why does he use this term, living sacrifice? Well, he's already told us in chapter 6, we're no longer slaves to sin. Sin doesn't have dominion over us. And what's beautiful is we've died to sin, but guess what? We're alive to God. I remember when I came to know Jesus and I bent the knee to him, and he lifted the weight of the world. That was the sensation I felt. But listen, I felt for the first time like I was alive. Why? Because I was born spiritually. How many of you know that, that man, I believe man is a trichotomy, whether or not you believe he's a trichotomy or a dichotomy. And by that I mean spirit, soul, and body. I was saved in my spirit. I am being saved in my soul, mind, emotion, will. One day I will be saved in my body. See, this old body that's wasting away what Paul said, the outer man is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. This old body that's wasting away is not our eternal body. According to the Bible, you and I get a glorified Bible. I can't see very well in, in this life, but guess what? In my new life, I'm going to have the eye of the eagle, amen? I'm going to be able to see 2020. <laughs> Forget that. I'm going to be able to see with the eye of the eagle. Oh, looking forward to that day. Come, Lord Jesus. A living sacrifice. We're dead to sin, but alive to God. Holy. That simply means set apart. You and I ought to be different. Amen. 
acceptable to God. That means pleasing to God. Let me ask you, do you have a desire to please God? Do you have a desire to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to Him? Several years ago, when I was interim pastor at a church in Lockport, I had the privilege of leading a young man to Christ. His name was Marty. They used to call him, his nickname was Marty with the Jesus part. Marty, Party Marty. But when he got saved, guess what? He was Marty with the Jesus party. And he's an exciting guy and he's an evangelist. He will share Christ with a post if it stands still long enough. But I remember when he was first saved, and, and I have this conviction when people come to faith in Christ, especially if I lead them to Christ, then it's my job to invest in them and to disciple them. And so Marty and I were involved in discipleship, and I remember our first week, I, I was using a tool, it was called the Survival Kit for New Christians, and I was sharing with Marty, and I said, over the course of our time together, you're going to commit to memory 24 verses of Scripture. So I called him the next week, and I said, Marty, can I still come over at the appointed time? And he said, yes, I'd love for you to come over. And he said, by the way, he said, I memorize those Scriptures. And I said, Marty, I said, what do you mean you memorize those Scriptures? He said, I memorized every one that you gave me. I said, Marty, I said, you didn't memorize and retain in your memory 24 verses of Scripture in one week. He said, I did. And so I started sharing the addresses with him and the references, and one by one he quoted every Scripture. And my point is this. He had a heart, he had a desire to please God. He couldn't get enough of God. He couldn't get enough of His Word. He couldn't get enough of prayer. You see, he learned the secret of offering up himself as someone for a specific purpose. And that purpose was to grow and to become spiritually mature. The first exhortation Paul makes in verse 1 is that of consecration. The second exhortation is that of transformation. Here's point number two. Allow God to change you. So point number one, give yourself completely to God and then allow God to change you. Notice verse 2. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. A couple of things I want you to see here. He begins by saying what we must not do. Look at it. He says, do not be conformed to this world. He's making a contrast here. He says, don't be conformed to the world. Rather, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Don't buy into the world's system. 
Don't buy into the world's point of view. Rather, see things from God's point of view. See things the way God sees things. What he's saying is there ought to be something different about those who claim the name of Christ and those who don't, a lost world. What he's saying is don't live the way that they live with their customs and behaviors. Rather, live life to glorify God. Don't do what they do. Don't say what they say. Don't live the way that they live. J.B. Phillips says it great in his little paraphrase. He says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. When I was pastor of my first church, I was down the bios in Galliano, Louisiana, at South Lafouche Church there near the high school. We had a few members... But we had this great amount of young people that was coming to the church. Chris and I were still young, and I guess we attracted young people and young adults and older teenagers. And I remember one night, we did back in the day a thing called a youth scramble. And basically what that was, was we got all the students who could drive to come to church early, and they would go out and bring back their friends alive. I, I don't recommend that for today, but back in the day it was a different time and we could do that. So they would scatter out, scramble out, and then come back and they'd usually come to our house. And we had just built a house in Cutoff and we had this great room, the room that opened into our dining and kitchen area. It was, it was a large room and we purposefully built it that way so that we could have large groups come to our house. And I'll never forget, I was teaching on the book of James chapter 2 and uh, that section where, Paul's, uh, where James says, faith without works is dead, being alone. And as I was teaching, one young lady that had come as a guest, her friend brought her. She said, Brother Tim, she said, let me get this straight. She said, are you saying that if you're going to be genuine in your faith, if you're a real Christian, that you're not going to live like the world? And I said, yes, that's exactly right. And I went on to teach. She said, whoa, whoa wait a minute. She raised her hand again. She said, are you saying that we're going to be different from our friends at school and we're not going to do and say the things that they say? And I said, yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. And then I went on to teach. She, she said, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You're saying that if a person doesn't live differently, then they're not a genuine, real Christian. And I said, yes, that's what I'm saying. She wheeled around and pointed at her friend. She said, Georgie, she said, you're not a Christian because you do everything that I do. 
Now you can imagine what happened. She ran, she started crying. She ran out. Chris had to go comfort her and, and she came to faith a couple of weeks later. But that graphically shows, listen folks, we can't conform to the image of this world. God's working in our lives ought to make us more and more like Jesus, amen? He says in verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You know, that's a very interesting verse. Because the last time I checked, only God can transform us. Why does he command, be transformed? That's an imperative in Scripture. Why would he say that? I can't change myself. You can't change yourself. Only God can change us, right? But I think the key is in the next phrase. By the renewal of your mind. What does it mean to renew your mind? It means to saturate your life with Scripture. It means to fill your mind with the Word of God. If I could stand here and read my Bible, guess what? I would have a big floppy Bible up here. But because I'm legally blind, I can't read like you read or or. I, I read, but I, you know, you know, you got what I'm saying. I can't see it. So I have to commit it to memory. And that's been one of the blessings of my life. Jerry Bridges says it this way. He says, sanctification is a work that God does, but it requires our effort. Let that soak in. Sanctification is a work that God does, but it requires our effort. Let me, t- let me tell you what the big effort is. Showing up when you don't feel like it, not only at church, but also in your quiet time, meeting with God, positioning yourself in a place where you can receive from Him. Are you doing that? Are you spending time in His Word? Are you allowing Him to change and transform your life? Donald Whitney says it this way in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. He says, the road to spiritual maturity always passes through the spiritual disciplines. And the chief discipline is Bible intake. How would you fill your life with the Scriptures? How would you saturate your life with the Word of God? I'm glad you asked. You hear it preached. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You read it. You study it. Paul told Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. You memorize it. The psalmist said, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. You meditate on the word. 
the godly man in Psalm 1, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Saturate your life with the Word of God. Fill your mind with Scripture. That's how you have a renewed mind. That's how you see things from God's viewpoint. Paul told the Colossian church, set your mind on things that are above. What do you take away? Let, let me say the last thing. Apply the word. So you hear it, you read it, you study it, you memorize it, you meditate. But listen, it's so important to apply God's word. Apply the word. Remember what James said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. My friend Gus Hernandez says it this way. He says, knowledge without, information, without application is useless information. How many of us have rendered the word of God as useless because we know the truth but we don't apply it to our lives. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? We just read that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, didn't we? What a tragedy not to apply the Word of God. What do you take away from a message like this? Let me give you two walking points and I'm done. The first one is this. I want you to see worship in a different light. See worship differently. To worship is to ascribe worth to. When we worship, we expose the value and worth of God. Bruce Leafblad says it this way. He said, to worship is to set the mind's attention and the heart's affection on God. What if, what if we didn't see worship as an event on Sunday morning, but we saw worship as a lifestyle? Look at, the, look at verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That verse tells us that worship is not just what we do on Sunday morning, but it's what we do all week long, right? See worship differently when you get up tomorrow morning first thing you ought to do is present yourself to God offer up yourself now you did it once and for all when you came to know Christ but each day it needs to be renewed just offer yourself to God every day my practice is I want to have a funeral I died at Tim's will and a coronation, I'd crown Jesus king. Right? Are you with me? See worship differently. The second one is this. 
Position yourself to be changed. Align yourself with the Word and will of God. Let me give you three practical steps, and this sums up all the message. You might want to write them down if you're a note taker. Yield your body to the control of God. Renew your mind by the Word of God and surrender your will to the purpose of God. Let me say them again. Yield your body to the control of God. Renew your mind by the Word of God and surrender your will. Be all in for the glory of God, His purpose. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for your word, and it's so rich. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to live in such a way in 2023 that you get the glory, and we'll give you praise. Amen.